we managed to do it. I had to hand it over to my deputy and say, you know, we've got to rewrite, virtually rewrite this. They wanted a completely different style to the way I normally write a script. She did it. She didn't ever want to hear this couple's name again because she's my proofreader as well as my deputy. But we sent it back and they absolutely loved it. Welcome to the Yes To I Do podcast, your weekly wedding planning show hosted by Jack Brister and Chris Piercy. Hello and welcome to Yes Do I Do, your wedding planning podcast. My name is Chris Piercy and today we were joined by Diana Saxby who runs Grace the Day Celebrant. She joined us and spoke about all things to do with having a celebrant, the differences between a clergy wedding, a registrar and a celebrant and everything you could possibly wish to know about the subject, including an incredible worst wedding story. This is how we got on. Dinah, thank you very much for joining us. Not at all, my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. No problem whatsoever. So, uh, Dinah is a, a celebrant. So, uh, how is a how is a celebrant different to a registrar? Just a, I think that you know, for me personally, and I'm sure Jack's the same. We don't see very much, if any, of the ceremonies, and have very little knowledge of what that part is all about. So, what what's the kind of the difference between the two? I think the easiest, it's it's quite a new concept and it's been a very difficult one to convey. And you and I, Chris, met at a wedding fair, didn't we? And that's why I like to attend the wedding fairs because that gives me an opportunity to actually let people know that we're out there. I refer to us as a third option. Everybody knows about registrars. They also know about the clergy. And most people have heard of humanists who are also celebrants and we come under the same umbrella as a humanist but I personally don't belong to any belief or non-belief system humanists don't believe so I'm entirely independent but if I mention the word humanist and that we come under the same umbrella most people make that connection and they realize that yes we're the, we do the same work as a humanist okay so is it so uh, sorry I'm entirely independent. So in my own personal situation, I can't speak for other celebrants, but I'm always very happy to include religious or spiritual content. A humanist wouldn't, but I'm very happy to. Um, but I don't promote myself as that. But it, that's the benefit of being independent of any particular belief or non-belief system. Does that make okay. it clearer? Yeah, yeah, that's, that, that's very clear. Uh, I think it's... Uh covers quite a lot of the things we wanted to um kind of go into today which was um because i was under the impression and i'm not sure this just applies to registrars um but presumably you would know this that there are certain within a registrar's service there are certain terms or words or phrases which aren't allowed to be used within and music there. also that can't be used if it's religious um yes. one of the most popular or when i started out one of the most popular pieces of music the brides would request was ave maria now that's mm. religious that's that's referring to mary mother of jesus mm. and a registrar wouldn't allow that if it had words i have worked with registrars in the same room as me um locally here in christchurch and they will do the legal side while i do the personalized ceremony and on one occasion the bride had chosen Ave Maria and I had to check with the registrar first that it was permissible, permissible because it was religious and they said as long as it has no words you can use it and on this particular occasion it was purely 
orchestral so we were able to use it but that's you I've gone into the history of registrars you have to you have to know your stuff in this this job and the history of the registrars when I got married 40 years ago we didn't have registrars everybody had to get married in a church and when the registrar system came about they had to get permission from the church to be able to officiate weddings and it was a stipulation that no religion was included in the registrar's services because that made them separate to the church. There would be no benefit if registrars also included religion, would there, when you think about it, because at the time that we brought that the registrars were brought in, the church were doing the religious services. So why would the registrars need to include religion? But in my case, because I offer a very personal service, I've never been asked to do a totally religious service, but people will often say, my mother would like to give a reading from the Bible, or we'd like to have a moment of silent prayer. Is that, is that allowed? And with me it would be. And I'm very happy because that's what personalises the ceremony. That's what makes it bespoke to that couple. So it's helpful to have the background, I think, and that is why a, a registrar, to my knowledge at this moment, is, is prevented from including any religion, because it is in the terms of their... Okay, so in, in a nutshell, there's three options. There's the church route, which would be a kind of a, a religious ceremony. You've got a registrar, which categorically has to be uh, non-religious in any way whatsoever to the point where any song mentioning anything religious can't be used and then the third option would be a celebrant who should be able to do whatever they want essentially is there, is there any stipulations is there any stipulations on what you you're allowed to say or not say? absolutely not no no absolutely no restrictions at all um, because we don't do the legal side we're not permitted to do the legal uh, paperwork and so and that's not a problem I'm surprised at how many couples don't actually mind that I have to send all my couples to their local registry office to pick up their marriage certificate and sign the register in the uh, registry office um, some couples if their budget allows will bring the registrars out to the venue and perhaps do it the day before or the morning before but it has to be separate from my own apart from those two occasions um, which I had locally where the registrars were willing to work with me and that showed great openness and vision I think they realized that actually we were quite a presence uh, now and when I started out I'm in my first decade now in my 10th year when I first started out I was the only one in the area but I now have a lot of competition and I think registrars are realizing that and there's an opportunity for us to work together rather than working in competition with each other but the reason there's no limitations to go back to your question is because we don't do the legal side the registrars have to do that either in the registry office or by coming out to the venue and doing it in a separate process. Um, either in the next door room, I had that, um, at the Captain's Club, I had a civil partnership and the couple had the registrar in the room next door to the um, ceremony room and they signed the register there 
just on their own with their two witnesses and then came into the ceremony room. They were escorted in actually by the registrars who stayed for, for want of a better description, my ceremony. And there were 120 guests in that room to witness the personalised ceremony, but they didn't witness the legal signing because that's the way the couple wanted it. I guess that makes sense. And I think that it's obviously the ceremony itself is, I mean, we talk about a wedding essentially being a party, you know, but it has to have the orbit at the start, otherwise it is just a party. But I think that the the, the ceremony itself has to have this level of personalisation. Well, it's nice to have this level of personalisation because it gives the opportunity for people to, you know, find out a bit, a bit more about people. So, for instance, when I went to a friend's wedding some kind of five or six years ago, I know him very well because I've known him since childhood. But his um, his partner, I met her a few times, but I didn't know much about her. But because they they kind of personalised their ceremony, I had a real chance to find out a bit more about her. So, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was um, a really nice thing to do. I spend a lot of time with the couples. We meet with them. I meet them at the venue. They come to my home or I go to their home. I also have a lot of international clients. So our meetings take place on Skype. And I often won't meet them until the day beforehand. Um, usually there's a chance to meet once before the wedding. They often come over to the UK to check out the venue, to meet other suppliers, and I'll meet them then. Otherwise, we will, all our meetings will take place on Skype. And I estimate each ceremony takes me 20 hours of actually, not, not all that time with the, with the couple, but drafting a personalised ceremony, sending it to them to check because that's the other thing couples like. They want control over their ceremony. They have control over everything else. They choose their cakes, they choose the colour, they choose the photographer, they tell them what style of photography they want. And they want the same control over their ceremony as well. And when you, when I remind them, and it's on my website, that the ceremony sets the tone for the rest of the day, it's the first thing the guests are present at is the ceremony and if they get a bad ceremony that's what they're going to be talking about at the drinks reception <laughs> wasn't it awful that the celebrant forgot his or her words or got the names wrong or got flustered or dropped their script or whatever but if they have a good ceremony that's what they're all going to be talking about and that's the sort of feedback I get which which just makes it so rewarding but it's about working with the couple including the things that they've requested which, and I'm not here to criticise registrars, but I know what my clients tell me, but the registrars are just, they don't have that time to build a personal relationship with the client. So that's my focus, is yeah. finding out who they are, how they met, what they see in each other, the proposal story. That's possibly what you heard, Chris, when you went to your friend's wedding and found out about your friend's new wife. Yeah, but you've got, that takes time gathering all that information, exchanging ideas, me telling them the options that they can have, them telling me, well, actually, we wanted to do it this way, and and I describe myself as a facilitator, not a dictator. So it works really well when couples come to me and say, we'd really like to do this. We saw it done somewhere else. Can we have it with you? And I've never had to say no to anything. It's not my place to. So provide, we do have to consider certain things with the venue restrictions. Sometimes venues won't allow naked flames if the couple want a candlelit ceremony, that sort of thing. 
so we have to bear in mind those restrictions but there's certainly no restrictions yeah so and i was listening i think it was on the radio yesterday morning and i will probably get these numbers horribly wrong but it came across and um they were saying that i think it was 70 percent of young people so this is people under 30 are no longer uh, no longer recognize any religion so uh, you know um atheist for all intents and purposes whilst 70 percent of people over 60 i think it was are religious in one form or another so i think what's really nice about having a celebrant is that you can combine both parts of that so if the parents perhaps or the grandparents want to have some sort of religion involved but the kids or the people getting married aren't necessarily particularly worried about it is that so that's something that a celebrant could do that no other um person who's conducting the ceremony would be able to do because they'd have to stick either religious or non-religious and as you say it often isn't the couple who've requested it it will be the parents and that's with couples who really respect their parents wishes perhaps one or other set of parents is paying for the wedding and they want to respect the fact that well this is a compromise we've chosen not to get married in church because we're not religious but we can compromise and we can appease parents by having a bible reading having him singing i've had him singing before um you know there are practicalities there you've got to have somebody present who can play the music or you've got to have it recorded you've got to issue the words on sheets so that people have got something to follow but the other thing is fusion weddings and I get a lot of couples who are different religions but again they want to respect both religions and the mo had the most amazing one just before Christmas this this Christmas just gone the bride was Muslim but the groom was Christian and they they asked me to conduct the first ceremony which was the Christ with the Christian element and then they very kindly invited me to stay behind for the Muslim ceremony and witness that. So that's what we call a fusion wedding. I get a lot lot like that. I've had Hindu, Sikh, Muslim and Christian weddings. So, yeah, you're right, Jack. You've done your homework. I guess that as the world becomes uh, more, this isn't a word, but uh, multi multiculturalistic, is that a word? If, it is now if it wasn't, you know. I've, I've said, <laughs> it makes sense. I, I've said... It makes you know what I mean. So yeah, as it's becoming more multiculturalistic, I guess that the the fusion between different religions and between uh, certain religions and uh, non-belief uh, is going to become more and more because you know the, the beliefs are changing. So it's a, I think it's a great thing that um, you're in a position where you're able to tailor it absolutely perfect to a. a, a exactly a couple's needs because i think that you know in in situations where you know perhaps you've got someone who is a muslim for instance and their partner is an atheist you know and you know how and how that kind of fuses together in terms of not just the legal side of it but obviously the you know the personalization and making it kind of true to them and their what, what they believe so yeah it must be it must be um it must be fascinating really fascinating but it also calls for a lot of diplomacy um, you know, sometimes couples meet opposition if they're, you know, if the, if the, the two religions, such as the Christian and the Muslim one, um, there was some opposition. I had to be incredibly tactful. When I say that each ceremony can take 20 hours of my time, you know, the, the, the work that goes into it, a lot of it is the research. Um, mm. A couple, a couple of years ago, it was Sikh. The, the groom was Sikh and I had to do a lot of research into um, 
Sikh rituals and traditions so that I was able to make suggestions. We had an, an exchange of garlands. We kept it. The bride was very, very English. Um, so we, we, it was a nod to his religion rather than heavy on Sikh values and traditions, but they were mentioned. So no two ceremonies are the same because each one has to reflect that couple's um, personality, their relationship, their values. And of course, if those values include religious beliefs or non-religious beliefs, they have to include that as well. So I don't think people realize the amount of work that goes in. And that's why I chose, when after I trained um, back in 2010, that's why I, I wasn't intending to do this full time, but I realized I needed to because of the amount of time and research that went into actually designing and creating a personalized ceremony. I think that's something that a lot of um, people who are getting married don't quite understand is the amount of work, regard regardless of the supply, the amount of, sh the sheer amount of work that goes into each wedding supplier's day. So for instance, for some things it's really obvious, for instance, if you're a cake maker, they know that you're going to go and have to, you know, sort. first of all, you're gonna have to train on how to do it. You're gonna have to get a lot of cakes wrong and then you start doing them right. Then you start experimenting with the flavors and you put it all together and people kind of realize that to a certain extent. But even with photographers, I don't think couples quite understand how many hours go into the edit afterwards. Mm. Yeah, and and also the, the preparation work as well, understanding what they want discussing all, all these things to them and then when the photographer says they're two thousand pounds and they kind of their eyeballs fall out the head saying oh my god you're only here for like five hours or something like that like, well yeah it's just like five hours right so yeah I, I think that's something that's really really important for for couples to understand about the what goes into it beside the what you actually see i mean because with, with most of them including that, me and myself and jack as yep. magicians i think that what you see on the day is the absolute tip of the iceberg but the amount of effort and preparation and everything else that goes into it beforehand is is tends to be what you're what you're paying the money for yes really. for that expertise isn't it it's for the professionalism and the expertise and that's why during this conversation so far i've i've said several times i can't speak for other people because i don't think <laughs> other celebrants work to the same standard that i do and i know that couples now as i said earlier i was the first one in this area when i started out and now i've got a lot of competition and i'm being undercut and the prices people are charging i wasn't even charging that little 10 years ago when i started out and i and i do you know it's very true you get what you pay for you may not get the experience you may not get the expertise you may not get the confidence you may not get all those up extra elements some of which we've already talked about they may mm. use a standard script whereas i don't i have hundreds of scripts and not one of them is the same i think i saw something really uh, pertinent to what you're saying right now is that you're not um i can't remember where i saw it, it must have been one of the business groups i mean but the uh the, the quote was you're not paying for the the 30 minutes of like that i'm there you're paying for the 10 years of experience beforehand you know that's and that's the that's the yeah. difference i mean that Jack, I think Jack knows this. Was it was it the Nike logo that was drawn on a napkin? Or yeah, the Nike Nike logo was drawn on the back of a napkin, and you go, well, how much is that worth? Because it's just a tick on the back of a napkin, but it's the amount of years that's gone into being able to just draw a tick on the back of a napkin, and it'd be worth billions of dollars. 
Um, yeah. that that's the thing, isn't it? It's that experience that you get by having done it. You know, Nike have a reputation. You just mentioned mm. the name, and we all know quality, don't we? We 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 know the name, and I think it's the same with any wedding supplier. It's reputation. Do they know what they're doing? Do they have a good rapport with the other suppliers, with the venues? Can we trust them? Do we have confidence in them? So it's reputation as well, I think. Yeah. And I, I've worked very hard to maintain my reputation, um, and I hope I hope it's you know been it's, it will pay off. It has paid. Off. I've never heard any bad things about you, Diana. So I think you're doing all right. <laughs> I think that moves us on quite nicely to our quick fire questions, if you're ready for them, Diana. Go on, go ahead, I'll try. You will, uh, you'll do well, I'm sure. So, uh, question number one. Uh, what would you say is your number one tip if you're looking to book a celebrant? And you can't just say book me. So. No, 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 I, I, <laughs> that's the last thing I would think of. I would say choose them for their experience, their knowledge, their expertise, and also get to meet them. Get to speak to them by phone, on Skype, or if you can meet for a coffee. I offer a 30-minute free consultation. I'll meet my clients at their home. They can come to my home. We'll meet in Costa or anywhere, or at their venue, and there's no charge because it's really important that they gel with their celebrant because it's like any... I it's say it's like any professional relationship with a solicitor or a doctor you've got to be able to trust them and if you're sitting there and you don't trust the person you don't think they're knowledgeable enough you don't think they could handle an emergency situation then move on and find somebody who you can trust definitely i think that applies to all suppliers as well is that you need to make sure you gel with them and you can trust them to do their job really um so moving on to the next question what is your best wedding story i can't i i had a <laughs> i knew this was coming and i just can't they are i mean i'm passionate about wedding pick pick one come on i think <laughs> it doesn't mean the other ones were bad it just means this one kind of stood up slightly above well i've had one in a hot air balloon um, I've started going abroad for British couples who get married overseas. I was in Italy last year for a couple, but I think the one that stands out is the one that took place on a super yacht on the deck of a super. Well, it was actually a tall ship. The bride described it as a super yacht. It was the size of a super yacht, but her parents own a tall ship. It's 130 years old. It was a beautiful wooden tall ship moored in Yarmouth Harbour, just in, on the Isle of Wight. And the, she chose to have her ceremony on the deck of her parents' tall ship. And she arrived, no, they went out to the music was the sailor's hornpipe. Um, mm -hmm. She wanted a hymn singing. We all stood and, on deck and sang a hymn, um, a nautical. It was all very, obviously nautically themed. And when I got to the point where I invited the groom to kiss his bride, the Isle of Wight ferry was in picking up passengers, the Isle of Wight car ferry, and all the yachts in the harbour simultaneously blew their horns as the groom kissed his bride. It was absolutely amazing. So for novelty value, I think that one will always go down in history. That's pretty unique. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was totally unique. And there are photos of it on my website and on my Facebook pages. I'll have to, we'll have to check those out. 
So conversely, and I think you can even have an even harder time with this, your worst wedding story. And it can be something where you know, a, a bad thing became good. But uh, what, what comes to mind? It's the one I was going to tell you of where a bad thing became good. Um, again, that was only last year. Um, I was working with a delightful couple, absolutely delightful, but incredibly dreamy. And I met them in Winchester. They were London clients. And when I'm meeting London clients, we tend to... I, tend to meet them in Winchester because it's halfway for both of us. Had a possibly a two hour meeting with them over lunch, gathered all the information I needed for the script. A week later, I sent the first draft to them. I think this was in May and the wedding was in September. Kept prompting them, have you received your script? Can you let me have your edits? Because that's something else, couples, they have total control. If there's any of the wording that I've used that they don't like, I invite them to edit it, amend it, correct it, which again is something else they wouldn't get anywhere else. They wouldn't see the wording that was being used. And they just went off the radar, couldn't contact them at all. And they came back to me three weeks beforehand saying they didn't really like this part of the script or another part, could I change it, which I did. Then we work, I I work, I have an assistant. She'll step in for me in an emergency. Going back to your earlier question, looking for some, you know, if you're looking for a celebrant, do make sure that there's a contingency plan in place. What happens if your celebrant is ill? Will she let you down? Will he let you down? In my case, I've got a deputy. I've never had to call on her to stand in in an emergency, but she does take my double bookings with the couple's permission. If I'm already booked, she'll take the, their booking. Um, I had to pass everything over to her because I was right at the height of my season. I was working on my other weddings and dashing around the country to actually officiate those weddings. And we were both tearing our hair out with this couple. But about a week beforehand, I mean, my sign-off date is two weeks beforehand. I want everything signed off. We can still revisit it, but it will take me that time to print everything off, print my own version of the script in nice large font so that I don't need my glasses when I'm reading it. I print off all the readings. I print off the vows, any music that we're using. It all gets printed into little booklets so that they're keepsakes for the couple. I don't just use A4 paper that will flap around in the wind. It's all nicely presented. We managed to do it. I had to hand it over to my deputy and say, you know, we've got to rewrite, virtually rewrite this. They wanted a completely different style to the way I normally write a script. She did it. She didn't ever want to hear this couple's name again because she's my proofreader as well as my deputy. But we sent it back and they absolutely loved it. It came back with, Diana, we love it. You're a star. I turned up on the day. It was a September wedding. The groom, I turned up for the rehearsal for the day beforehand. The groom was rushing around in his Christmas pajama bottoms for the wedding rehearsal. Um, so I'd already met the couple, but it was hugs all round. They were so grateful. I did the wedding the next day. They sent me a testimonial and they referred to me and I have to be careful now because anybody wants to check this out, they'll find out who the couple was. But they left me a testimonial that said, if ever we know of anybody who wants a rock star celebrant, we'll recommend you, Diana. I had the most glowing testimonial and that was where we had turned it around. They were impossible to work with at one point. And then they suddenly got their act together. They realized that time was running out. 
and they got their act together and we man we did manage to turn it around and there was some amazing feedback um lovely lovely couple but just incredibly dreamy and i mean i appreciate that couples they've got so much to do in the weeks beforehand you know that so many suppliers want their decisions which is why i like to get the ceremony script written months in advance because once they've got that done and dusted they can then concentrate on other more pressing suppliers we can always revisit it and we and I often do I often have to they come back to me and say can we change our exit music there's a new song when Coldplay bought one of their tracks out a couple of brides said can we change our music we want Coldplay to walk out to and I we can do that but if they've got the the draft of it they're they've got the timings so they're able to tell their caterer and their venue actually the ceremony is 25 minutes so yeah. that was probably my happy outcome. <laughs> that's uh, that's a really good story, I think. So we'll move on to the final question, which or the final question of the quickfire questions, which is, what is your number one wedding planning tip? As soon as you book your venue, book your officiant. I think people overlook it. I've had couples come to me and say that they they've forgotten to book the registrar so was I available or the registrar isn't available at the time that they want so I would say your priority book your venue first and as soon as you've done that book somebody to officiate your ceremony because you will find people like me I only take one booking a day registrars are very overstretched celebrants are, are getting busier and busier because the name is now out there people know about us and they're choosing us so my number one tip would be to book your officiant as soon as you book your venue, but choose your officiant carefully. Um, a lot of couples are choosing to have their weddings, you'll know this Chris, well Jack does too, videoed or filmed. Choose somebody mm. with a speaking voice that matches, that, that you're going to be comfortable listening to in 10 years time somebody who perhaps doesn't either has the same regional accent as you or doesn't have a regional accent a lot of my overseas clients want that tradition they want a traditional english wedding and they want a traditional english speaking voice they don't want somebody with a regional accent that their guests might not understand because of the the accent so choose again it's something to choose when you're gelling looking for somebody making sure you gel with your efficient because you're going to be working with them for a long time and you're going to be, that 30 minutes in the ceremony room can seem a long time especially if somebody's speaking in a in a way that's going to grate on you you want somebody who's calm somebody who's going to put you at ease and somebody who's got expertise and control of that room because the celebrant is in control it has total responsibility for that ceremony room and all sorts of emergencies and uneventualities, ev unexpected eventualities can crop up and you need to know that that person's going to be able to deal with them. And I have a story about that if you want one. No, go for it. No, yes. we, we want to hear it. I had um, a footballer wedding and I won't mention his name because you'll know him, but I had a footballer wedding very early on. I think it was 2013. And you know what footballers and wags, am I allowed to say that? Footballers are like, and they were 
larking around. It was very difficult to have control of that room actually beforehand because they were really larking around as footballers do. Um, and we had an, I had an arrangement with the groom. Um, the bride and groom had little children already. And the youngest was the ring bearer and was going to bring the rings, walk in with the bridal party and bring the rings and give them to me because um, it was easier to put them on the table. This was the parent's choice for the child. They thought he would be better handing them to me. The arrangement was they would be put on the table. Um, and that's what happened. The rings were put on the table. We opened the ceremony. I had my introduction. I told the story. We then had the solemn part of the ceremony, which we call the commitment, which is the pledges, the exchange of vows. We then went to exchange rings. And when I went to look in the box to take the rings, they disappeared. No <laughs> rings in the box. And I had to keep my cool. Um, and this is what I say, you have to be prepared for any eventuality. And they let me suffer for a while. Obviously, the groom was in on it and he knew what had happened. But one of his friends in the audience, one of the guests, had decided to make them disappear and came forward with them afterwards. Um, well, at the time, when he realised that we were searching for them, I think the groom sort of indicated, OK, time's up, you better bring them back. And he put his hand up and walked down to the front and returned the rings. So that was a... Heart in your mouth moment there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so finally, uh, our random question of the week. Uh, it just occurred to me when I was just sat here listening to your story. Uh, it might be too random, but we'll see how it goes. So um, Jack and uh, Diana, yeah, it's going to require a little bit of thought. And I do want a bit of explanation behind this as well. So when we imagine there's one and one of each animal in the world and they're having a fight to the death. Okay, which animal would come out on top and why? <laughs> <laughs> Say, Chris, this is totally unrelated to the work that I do. It Two is, animals. It's it's a it's a chance for you to kind of show your personality. Jack's oh, that's amazing. Here. I was going to say the biggest, but that isn't isn't always the case, is it? Two animals. So. Oh, yeah. You have all, all, all the animals in the world and one of each having a fight to the death. Which one comes out on top? I'm talking uh, about land animals here because always the, the fish wouldn't stand a chance, right? Yeah. <laughs> I've got an answer. Okay, what's, what's your answer, Jack? So I reckon uh, the cheetah because it would destroy all the animals that it can normally destroy and then just outrun the other ones till they fall over and die. Yeah. Fair enough. I was thinking of something in the cat family, but I, I have a feeling it needs to be something savvy. I think smartness. Ah, yes. Ah, see, this is why we ask it, because that's the, that's the different view you have on it. That's why we have our random questions. I think possibly <laughs> the smartest and the smallest who can get away, but I couldn't name a particular breed, I'm afraid. Like a chipmunk or something. <laughs> Are they, Are they renowned, renowned for their intelligence? Their intelligence? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I think smartness would prevail. Smart and small. Like small it. and savvy and just kind of out outlast the rest somehow yeah i think so yeah but when you first said it i was thinking big elephant giraffe and then i thought no actually you know they're your obvious ones but no so uh diana thanks for joining us today uh if people want to find out more about your business uh where can they find you tell us about your website and your social media handles my website is www.gracetheday.com i'm on instagram and facebook um i no longer use twitter uh, I still ha I do still have a live account, but on Instagram I'm Grace the Day 
underscore celebrant and on Facebook I'm Grace the Day leading independent celebrant and I'm active on both I do daily updates and I've got albums of my photos my my weddings um, find me at quite a lot of wedding fairs in the area I do that out of loyalty to the venues because they've kept me for many years since I started out um, so great loyalty with the venues uh, mutual loyalty so yeah that's where you can find me but my website i would say website's the best part so i do this seven days a week so you can reach me seven days a week by phone or email or contact me via the website on the contact page wonderful stuff and jack if people want to get in touch with you how can they do that uh, they can find me at www.theluxurymagician.com. You can find me on Facebook at Jack Brister, the Luxury Magician, or you can find me on Instagram at J Brister Magic. And Chris, if people want to find out more about you or your book, which you haven't mentioned at all today, I'm impressed by that. Uh, where can they find out more? Uh, they can find out about me at chrispiercingmagic.co. Uh, I'll say that again at chrispiercymagic.co.uk. Uh, they can find me on uh, Instagram, that's Chris Piercy Magic, or search for Chris Piercy Magician on Facebook. Uh, my book, Blissful Wedding Planning, Becoming a Stirk Bride, which tells you how to become stress-free through the wedding planning process, that's available on Amazon and on Kindle and on Audible now as well. Woo! Woohoo! That took a long time. Uh, yes, so this leaves us to say thanks for joining us, Diana. Um, absolute pleasure. I think we've both learned a lot today. Definitely. And uh, we'll uh, speak to you again soon. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Yes To I Do. Please remember to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram using the tag at Yes To I Do Podcast.